If you got your Bibles, let's turn them to Acts chapter 20. It's page 874 if you're using one of our pew Bibles. And this morning, we're going to talk about elders, biblical eldership, church governments, polity. And there's a whole lot of Bible about this topic. It's not a topic that a lot of Christians get excited about, but I hope that that will increase. I certainly get excited about it. This sermon I had to cut 20 minutes from. I love this topic. God loves this topic because he talks a lot about it. It's a lot of Bible passages about the topic of polity, of church government. And he wants the church, he wants y'all to know about it. And he wants us to get this right. It's vital for the health of local congregations that we order ourselves the way God shows that we should order ourselves. There are whole denominations, the vast majority of churches that don't get this right which is a real shame. And I would argue that the vast majority of problems in churches have to do with leadership. And a lot of those problems could be prevented by a proper leadership structure. There are three whole books in our New Testament about church leadership and structure. We call them the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. So it's extremely important. They tell us how to, quote, behave in the household of God, how we are to act in the church. We talk about polity like plumbing. It's one of those things when you're building your house, you don't even think about it. You don't want to talk about it. You want to talk about your floors and your ceilings and your, your countertops and all that. You just want to assume someone's taking care of the plumbing. But plumbing is absolutely vital, right? If you, you can have all the trinkets and bells and whistles that you want inside your home, but if your plumbing is off... It's all a waste. In fact, it could be full of waste. It is essential. <laughs> essential, though not necessarily exciting. But again, I hope the Lord will change your affections as we think about this passage this morning. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 31. What we have here, book of Acts, Paul's going planting churches. And here he comes and he's saying goodbye to the elders of the church at Ephesus. Acts 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So in many ways, this is a passage for elders, right? And so in many ways, this sermon will be a a sermon primarily directed to current elders and potential elders, but you all need to hear it. That's why it's in the word of God. God wants you to hear the role and function of elders in his church. And so the intended audience is everybody. That's why it's in scripture. He didn't write letters just to the elders at Ephesus. He didn't write a private letter to Timothy or Titus. He wrote it so the whole church would know and follow suit accordingly. So I've got eight charges for the elders and potential elders this morning. And number one is don't go it alone. See that there in the first verse, verse 17, he addresses and calls the elders, plural, of the church. The elders are the leaders of the church, and it's plural. The church of Jesus Christ is to be led by spiritually qualified elders, And the New Testament has one voice on this issue. Now, what's really important for us to know is that the New Testament actually has three offices or three titles to refer, three titles to refer to one office, excuse me, three different titles to refer to one office. So in places they're called elders, that's the vast majority, elders. In some places there's overseers. And then actually only in one place, there's pastor. I really don't know the history to why most of the time we call the leaders of the church pastor, But in terms of a noun and a title, it just happens one time in the whole New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4. Elders is used 17 times. Overseer is used four times. Pastor as a noun is used one time. So the main title is that of elder, so that's what we use here. But a pastor is an elder is an overseer. It's all the same office. An elder is a pastor is an overseer. Church structures that split those up are off biblically. Let me show you. It's right here in our passage, actually, verse 28. So look down at Acts 20, 28. Again, he's speaking to the elders. And here's what he tells them. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So elders have been made overseers. Keep reading to care for the church. Well, there's the verb form of pastor, to pastor the church, to shepherd the church. So elders are those who are called to oversee and to pastor. Make sense? Let me read Titus. Well, let me just start. Let me just mention that Titus 1 says that I just read it and it was qualifications for an elder. 1 Timothy 3 actually has the exact same qualifications, but there it calls them an overseer. Same qualifications for the same office, one called an elder, one called an overseer. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 5. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd, pastor, the flock. Elders are to pastor the flock of God that is among you, exercising overseership, oversight, same word, not under compulsion, but willingly. And so Peter speaks to the elders and tells them to 
shepherd, pastor, and to oversee. Again, an elder is a pastor, is an overseer. It's the same office. Titus 1, let me read it again. Titus 1, verse 5. Paul writing to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, God cares about these things, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Then in verse 7, he says, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. And so the qualifications are for elders that are called to oversee. Very clear when you start looking. An elder is a pastor, is an overseer. And this is what I want to mention this morning. It's always plural. It's always plural. It is not God's will that one man have all authority in the local church. There is to be a team of spiritually qualified men called to lead the local church. I want to give you just a small sampling of this. I mentioned I had to cut 20 minutes. Let me just give you a small sampling so that you'll see. The point is, every time it's mentioned, it's in the plural. So let me read Acts chapter 11, verse 30. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want. Keep your finger in Acts 20, but Acts chapter 11, verse 30 says this. And they did so, sending it to the elders, plural, by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Flipping over a couple pages, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. When they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Plural, Acts chapter 15, verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. Plural, chapter 16, verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders, plural. And then we saw in our, our passage, chapter 20, verse 17, he calls for the elders. Then if you flip the page to chapter 21, verse 18. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders, plural. You get the idea. It's always plural. It's always a team. Don't go it alone. James chapter 5, if anyone's sick, call the elders, plural, to come and be prayed for. Titus chapter 1, I left Titus in Crete to put what in reign in order and point the elders, plural. A plurality of elders is not an optional church feature. It is central to God's plan for the local church. I was asked to share some of this to a group of pastors at one point, and they were quite a bit older than I was. And I laid it out, and afterwards they just started kind of talking about what they liked and didn't like about it. And part of it was, well, that, that would slow me down if I had to deal with the team. And I wanted to be humble, but I sat back and thought, guys, this is not up for conversation. Whether you like it or not matters not. This is God's word, and it's the same in every book. It is very clear that the church is to be led by a plurality of spiritually qualified men. Some churches have one man calling all the shots. Again, that's just foolish, unbiblical. Some have some outside authority telling the local church what to do. We're Baptists. We don't have that outside authority. Some churches are ran by committees that may or may not be spiritually qualified. It's where minutes are kept and hours are lost. <laughs> Some have deacons leading, but in Scripture, deacons don't lead. In Scripture, deacons serve. One of my favorite verses on polities, Philippians 1.1. Very first verse in the letter, Paul says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, and the deacons. There it is. 
The New Testament teaches two offices, led by elders, overseers, pastors, served by deacons. So number one, don't go it alone. Number two, serve the Lord. Look at verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul's our example here, and he serves the Lord. And this word for serve is actually a little bit stronger. It's the word for slave. Paul knows who he is. Paul knows he's been bought with a price. He's not his own. His aim is to please his owner, please the Lord in all that he does. And so he serves the Lord, and he says he serves the Lord with all humility. Listen, if an elder aspires to be an elder for the sake of the title, they've disqualified themselves. And it won't take long to see that if it's merely for a title, you'll burn out. It's not worth it. So serve the Lord with humility. He says serve the Lord even with tears because shepherding souls is often heartbreaking work. Lots of burdens to bear. It's rare that folks come to elders with good news. I just want to come to you, elder. I want to meet with you. I just want to tell you, man, my prayer life is booming. I've been in the word every day. My marriage is centered on Christ. Can we just pray and thank God for how good things are going? Doesn't happen. It's usually heartbreaking things. It's burdens to bear. Trials are the norm for ministry. We see that all throughout the book of Acts. Trials and trials and trials. And sadly, in the book of Acts, it's often the religious leaders doing the persecution. Now, here in America, we currently have a respite of physical persecution, but to stand for the Bible today will not win friends and influence people. Cody mentioned we're already receiving hate emails about a conference on biblical manhood and womanhood, and they don't even know what he's going to say yet. Trials will come, and so serve the Lord. Number three, teach the word. Look at verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Elders must not shrink back from teaching the word. We teach it because he says it's profitable. Same word we see in 2 Timothy 3 where it says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Why is it profitable? Because it's the word of God. We teach in public. We teach from house to house. The ministry of elders is not merely an upfront ministry. Teach the word up front, but teach it at home. Teach it at the coffee shop. And what's the essence here of the message? Faith in Jesus Christ and repentance towards God. Trusting in Christ, turning from sin. That's how Jesus summarized his very first message. He says in Mark 1.15, the time is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe, repent and believe, turn from sin, trust in Jesus. And so we teach the word and we teach all of the word. Look at verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. I think he's alluding back to Ezekiel 33 and that watchman there of Ezekiel, which comes right before Ezekiel 34, where God rebukes the shepherds of Israel for focusing on feeding themselves and not the sheep. Verse 27. For I'm innocent because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We teach the whole counsel. This is why the elders take so seriously all the teaching ministries of this church. This is why we do what we do on Sundays. 
It's called expositional preaching, and we pick a book of the Bible. If you're a guest with us, we'll pick a book. We're in Romans. We've been in it since January. We'll be there till like next May. And the point of Romans will be the point of the sermon. It's just what we do, the whole council. That keeps, keeps me from avoiding the hard parts, and it exposes you to the whole council. So we preach through books of the Bible. Teaching is mentioned eight times in this passage, Acts 20, eight different times. This is one of the main things that elders do is teach and take care of the teaching. We see it starting early on. So the church starts at Pentecost, Acts 2, and it begins to grow. And in Acts 6, the apostles begin to get bogged down with practical needs, the needs of specifically some Jewish widows and Gentile widows. And so what they end up saying there is they end up saying, we can't be bogged down with serving tables in Acts chapter 6. And so they institute deacons so that the apostles and then the elders could be devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. One of the qualifications for elders is to be able to teach. In fact, many ways, that's what sets elders apart. If you did a study on those qualifications of elders and overseers, you'd see that it's really nothing that fantastic, right? Be faithful, be faithful in marriage, strive to be holy, follow the Lord, don't be a drunkard, don't be greedy. Those are things that all Christians are called to do. Same with deacons in 1 Timothy 3. If you look at those qualifications, they're quite similar. What's the difference? Three words, able to teach. That's one of the unique callings of an elder is they need to be able to teach. They need to be men who master the word. They must bleed Bible, must know scripture and be able to combat false teaching and instruct others from scripture with notable effects. Elders teach the word and must be known for teaching the word well. Number four, be devoted to Jesus. Look at verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value. What a life verse. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, my life's not about me. I'm not worried about me. Life's not about us. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So our life's not about us. It's about him. He says, if only I may finish my course. We should be laser focused on finishing well, persevering. Friends, what are you doing now? What are you doing today to ensure you will finish well? Today is the day to get serious. Today is the day to stop flirting with sin. Today is the day. Don't run aimlessly through life. Listen to the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 9. Bible's a whole lot more concerned with how we finish than how we start. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we 
and imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Be devoted to the Lord and finish well. Be committed to finishing well. Again, these are the elders of the church at Ephesus. And sadly, we know how the church at Ephesus ended up doing. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we have a letter from the Lord Jesus to the church at Ephesus. Listen to what he says. Jesus says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, turn from sin, and do the works you did at first. If not, here's the warning, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Starting well means nothing. Finishing well means everything. Be devoted to the Lord. Number five, related to that, pursue holiness. Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Careful attention. Be rigorous be intentional don't drift keep watch be on guard no days off here's how first Timothy 4 puts it keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching persist in this for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers pursue holiness watch your life Number six, watch the flock, protect the flock. It's there in verse 28 again. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Pay careful attention to the flock. Watch yourselves and watch the flock. To truly care for the flock, you've got to care for yourself. Brother elders, the main thing this church needs is your holiness. It needs you to watch yourself. Your holiness is one of the church's greatest needs. And so watch yourself. It's much like, you know, adults on planes. What do they tell them? If something were to happen, if a crash were going to happen, put the mask on you first before you try to take care of others. Pay careful attention to your life and to the flock. I don't know that there's a more weighty responsibility in all the world to protect the flock, to keep watch over the bride of Jesus Christ. Guard the flock. You know, the metaphor here we're using is that of sheep. The metaphor for Christians is sheep. And listen, shepherds are sheep first and foremost. And notice the metaphor, right? I mean, if you haven't even had any dealings with sheep, they're dumb. They're defenseless. They've only got teeth on one jaw, and so they can really just pinch you when they get mad. They need a protector. They're vulnerable. It's like they just want to die and can find ways that they want to die. A few years ago, the Associated Press ran a story about some wandering sheep in Turkey. And one wandered over a cliff. And then another wandered over a cliff. And then another followed them over the cliff until 1,500 sheep wandered over the cliff. Here's where they put it. They said, in the end... 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile. 
Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and the fall more cushioned. 1500. Prophet Isaiah says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. So elders must guard the flock. And brother elders, we will be held accountable for this. Hebrews 13, 17 is one of those texts that terrify. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we watch over the souls of the members of Southside Baptist Church. And one of the ways we protect the church, one of the ways we watch and guard is through guarding the teaching that happens here. Because false teaching will always be a threat. Again, those pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, are full of warnings against bad teaching. And so I need you to hear this. I want to read some passages. I eliminated about half of them. I need you to feel the weight of this because in our day, we live in a day where doctrine is diminished. People are, you know what? Doctrine divides. Can't we all just get along? Enough with those pesky words and those pesky definitions and all your doctrinal precision. Can't we just be friends? We live in a culture of pluralism, relativism. Well, there's no real truth, just whatever you think and whatever works for you. Today, the only real heresy is that there's such a thing as heresy. So I need you to feel this this way. So don't turn with me. I'm just going to read several passages from these pastoral epistles to see the importance of elders guarding the teaching of the church. 1 Timothy 4.1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. First Timothy four sixteen, keep a close watch on yourself. And on the teaching, persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both yourselves and your hearers. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Chapter 6, verse 20. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit the deposit is the body of truth, Christian doctrine. Guard that deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 2 Timothy 2.2 speaks of finding faithful men that will be able to teach others what they've been taught. 2 Timothy 2.15 commands the elder, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.24 The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. 2 Timothy 3 verse 14, I cut out a lot of this section. But as for you, continue in what you have heard, what you firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Titus chapter 1, one of the qualifications for an elder in verse 9 is he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. Titus chapter 2 verse 1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And again, that's about half of what I wanted to read, but I hope you get the point. The call to elders is to guard the doctrine of the church, protect the church. Back to Acts chapter 20 and notice why. Notice what he says there in verse 29. He says, I know that after I leave, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Fierce wolves will come in. That's not just for the first century. What do fierce wolves do when they encounter sheep? It ain't pretty. They attack and they tear to shreds. And we're talking about attacking and tearing to shreds the faith of people. It happens all the time. And it happens by very kind people. People with Bible degrees. People who seem sincere and they've read a lot of books. They never look like wolves, right? They have big smiles and product in their hair. That's why Jesus speaks of wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. And they're going to come in among you. See, notice Paul here, he's not worried about the world here. He's not worried about other religions. He's not worried about atheists. He's concerned about those who claim the name of Jesus. To be an elder is to be one who has to deal with false teaching. It requires admonishing and people don't like to be admonished. But to be an elder who sticks with Scripture, doesn't water truth down, who doesn't compromise even hard truth, it will be costly. There will be conflict. There will have to be confrontation. I used to think maybe we'll get past this. You know, I'm still, I'm still early in ministry, but earlier in ministry, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe one day we'll get past like some of the conflict over doctrine and relational conflict. And then I read the Bible. It's always helpful to do that. I read 2 Timothy and where you read really the Apostle Paul's last will and testament. The Apostle Paul, surely he's just breezing through and 
flying through the end of his ministry years and all is well. Well, read 2 Timothy and notice that it is chock full of conflict and confrontation. Just to mention a couple, he says, all who are in Asia turned away from me. All who are in Asia. He says, Demas deserted him. People he had poured into, Crescens left, Titus left. Alexander did him great harm. No one came to him at his first defense. And so, brothers, conflict will come, but we must protect the flock, which means hard conversations. But the truth of God is worth it. We're called to protect the flock. We protect the teaching. Another way that we protect the flock, in fact, I think one of the main ways that we guard the flock and protect the flock is through membership. Through a membership process. In other words, shepherds guard the front gate of the sheep. Some churches, and probably most Baptist churches, how do you join? Well, you just walk down an aisle, it's nowhere found in the Bible, and you say, I want to join. Well, John and John and Blossie want to join. All in favor, say aye. Aye. All opposed, no. Of course, no one's going to say no. It doesn't matter if they're child molesters or Mormons. We just let them in, right? That's unfathomable to me. That's, that's, that's poor leadership. That is ineffective shepherding and so we need a membership process what we do here if you're new we have a class come take the class we want you to know what we believe before you join we want you to know about us and then we'll meet with you one of our elders will meet with you and we want to hear your story and have any questions that you might have about us and see if you've been baptized by immersion as a believer and we'll ask do you understand our doctrine and do you agree with our doctrine and you'll sign an agreement and maybe you disagree and what we'll try to do is we'll hope to persuade people about our doctrine but at the end of the day if you're not persuaded of our doctrine, there's 200 other churches in Abilene, most of which don't care about what you believe. Effective eldership requires church membership. Again, listen to Hebrews 13. We will give an account for those under our leadership. We will give an account. So elders must be able to know and distinguish who we are responsible for. We're not responsible for anyone who comes in these doors. We care for you, glad you're here. But in terms of judgment day, we won't be held responsible for you unless you've joined with us. Membership defines that and helps us protect the flock. Seven, oversee the flock. It's there in verse 28 again. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Again, an elder is an overseer, is a pastor. And so elders oversee. And notice here he says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. So if you're an elder or if you're aspiring, it's because the Spirit's at work in you. The Holy Spirit's the one who did this. But 1 Timothy 3 says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So you have to want it to be an elder. Because it won't be easy. It will be demanding. You have to want it. But if you do want it, you want it because the Holy Spirit's been at work in you. The Holy Spirit's the one who makes overseers. He gives that aspiration. So elders are called to oversee, to manage the affairs of the church, to lead, to manage, to rule. Here's what 1 Timothy 5, 17 says. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So elders direct the affairs of the church. They lead, they oversee, and they pastor. That's number eight, pastor the flock. And it's there in verse 28 as well. 
It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care, this pastor, to shepherd, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So you care for the church, you shepherd the church, you pastor the flock. And just think again about that imagery of what a shepherd does with actual sheep. They care for them. They ensure that they're nourished. They tend to the wounded. They protect them from outside intruders. They keep them together. And so brothers pastor the flock. One of the main formal ways that we seek to pastor this flock is through contacting you guys regularly. Every meeting, we'll go here in a minute and we're going to meet. We're going to pray for the first 30, 40 minutes of our meeting for 12 members that we've asked. Hey, how are you doing? Anything we can pray specifically for. And so we're proactively seeing how you're doing. There will be a lot of reacting, reactive shepherding as, as burdens and crises arise. But proactively, we want to see how you're doing and be in regular touch and regular prayer for you. Formally, informally, to pastor, you've got to build relationships. Paul's a model here. We didn't read it, but over at the end of Acts chapter 20, he leaves, he kneels down, and there was much weeping on the part of all. Paul was invested in the lives of these church members and these elders. Elders are not a board of trustees. They're pastors. As one author put it, elders don't manage the machine, but they seek to mature members. So we're called to care for the church of God. And notice what he says, how he describes it. It's his. We care for the church of God. This is his church. It's the bride of Christ. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood purchased by the blood blood bought from heaven he came and sought her and bought her with his precious blood elders are those who oversee and those who pastor that's the eight charges church how should you respond well if you're not a member here if you're new to Southside, let me just encourage you to find a church that is led by a plurality of elders who seek to pastor Hope you've seen it's not an optional add-on. This is God's will for his church. But what about the members? Let me read again Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will get, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So let me just briefly mention four responses to this teaching. Number one, if you're here and you know you're here, like you're all in, let me just encourage you to join. You joining will help elders, us elders, better care for you. And so take that next step. Uh, the next class we will offer is October 5th. It'll be a Saturday morning. We'll be talking more about it in the weeks to come. You'll go to one class. You'll meet with an elder. And if everything's good and you're good and want to move forward, then you join. So that's the first thing is join if you haven't joined. Second, support the leadership of the church. I'm actually softening the language here. Notice what Hebrews said. Hebrews said to submit and to obey your leaders. Now, we don't like that language, but that's what God's word says. And so be a supportive member. Notice what 1 Thessalonians 5 says. It says, we ask you, talking to the church, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So be supportive. Number three, pray. I mentioned that the greatest need of this church is the holiness of its primary leaders, which are elders. So we covet your prayers. 
Pray for us. Pray for us that verse 24 would be true, that we would not account of our lives of any value. We would want to just finish the course and testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Pray that we would hate sin and love Christ more every day. Pray for our marriages. Pray for our children. Third, pray for us. And then fourth, make it a joy. Notice what he said there in Hebrews 13. Speaking of these leaders, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. And so as you're a member, seek not to make your leaders groan, but help make pastoring this church a joy. Let me just commend you. You do that so well already. So join, support, pray, make it a joy. Brother elders, we only get a few short years to serve our Lord in this way. Let us spend and be spent for the souls of Southside Baptist Church. And as 1 Peter 5, right after he addresses the elders, says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory.